Welcome back, my friends, to the Sweet Spot, where IT leaders share the insight with other leaders, others that want to lead. My name is Carlos Vargas, and as in every week, I have my two co-hosts, Howard Houghton and Paul Lewis. Hey there. Morning. <laughs> Bright and chipper as usual. Mm, you can call it that if you really want to. <laughs> Uh, another week. Yeah, before we get started, it's a little early for me. This was the best time we all could find to meet and record. In about 30 minutes, God's going to let the sun and air out. It will officially be a day, but today is not a day quite yet. (laughs) You know, that's what happens when you live on the other side of the world. Right. That's true. That's true. I'm not... I'm not throwing shade. I'm just saying it's early. We've we've been up. We've had breakfast. We've had a run. We've come into the office. Look yeah. at this, half our day's over already. You guys can yeah. almost be in the same office, actually, just different parts of it. Yeah, yeah, it's close. <laughs> so, other than a country division between us, a country division, a little bit of a border. Are you in New York, Carlos? No, I'm in uh, Norwalk, Connecticut. Ah. And I'm in, I'm in our downtown Ottawa office headquarters, you might call it, in the Sydney room, oddly enough. <laughs> this is yeah, the super like, volcano. New York City, <laughs> Ottawa, and London behind you, but I do not see Sydney. Because uh, it's directly behind my head. So this is, so we name all our offices based on where our other offices are. Think of it that way. So we have an office in Sydney, so we have a room in Ottawa called Sydney. Not unlike in Sydney, we had have a room called Ottawa. Uh, so, makes it very confusing, actually. So our headquarters has different division names on it, like heat and air and water and that sort of stuff. Yeah. HR always chooses one room to do HR-related stuff. If you were to take three guesses of what I just gave you, which do you think they choose? Yeah. No, heat. Heat. <laughs> I see. Yep. If HR calls you and you're going to meet in heat, it's going to be appropriately named. <laughs> I see. I see. All right. That's funny. <laughs> I don't think they intended it to be funny. And yet, it's pretty funny. So tell us about your laptop woes. So, yeah, so in addition to getting up earlier than I wanted to this morning by at least an hour, uh, I come downstairs, I try to power on the Dell work provided Dell laptop, which immediately said, you haven't touched me in two weeks, I'm going to power it and go into recovery mode. Not sure why it's still sitting on some recovery screen over there, um, but the thing's built like a wet noodle. Like it's, it's built like moist cardboard. It's just the floppiest laptop I've seen that that is actually operating as intended. I don't know how Dell ships those things. Versus uh, my endless line of ThinkPads that I continue to buy because they're, the aluminum magnesium chassis actually makes them solid, even though it's a 12-inch laptop that weighs 2.1 pounds. Like it's mm-hmm. kind of like I, I don't. I'm I'm starting to wonder how these companies stay in business when they get away with producing just stuff that doesn't seem to meet any kind of standard. And of course, the first thing I did was say, you, 
and we need to find something better, which corresponded to a lovely discussion with Dell about battery problems, um, to which they said, yes, we recognize we have a high failure rate and no, we're not really going to do anything for you about it. You're gonna to have to open tickets every time, to which we said, thank you very much. Let's call, let's call other vendors. Right. Fortunately, there are a lot of PC laptop providers in this right. world. Yes, I think Dell was mistaken in believing that they were the only game in town and, and went, well, I mean, good luck finding someone else to do that. And, and it's really just like, you just look at the, it, it's like picking up seashells on the, on the seashore. You just look at your feet and they happen to be right there. It's, it's one of the more obvious and distinct differences between like a cost control CIO and a productivity slash innovation CIO. You could walk into any office, whether it's a client or vendor, and look at their set of laptops and say, do you spend $800 on these or do you spend $2,500 on these? Right? What's the value you put on productivity and innovation to your individual staff members? Because <laughs> it makes a difference. Right? An 800 laptop will not last. It will not provide the same kind of value as a $2,500 laptop. And yes, scale matters. And yes, when you have 5,000 people, that price adds up. But if I'm, I'm not replacing them every year, or if I'm not creating a warranty ticket every six months, then it's probably still coming out in the wash. And you're satisfying your users. And they're never going down. And they're happy with the product. And they're traveling with no problems. There's a lot of positives, even though it's slightly more expensive. But you can tell the difference just by walking into somebody's room and saying, OK, well, this is now how I think how I know you understand IT. So, oh, so sure. that, that's a great point. When I was leading some of the other companies, I had to make that decision. So I would like to see if the way that I did it is similar to yours. Like you go through the RFP process. And as you said, normally they're looking for the lowest, cheapest vendor because supposedly that's what gonna bring. I want the complete opposite. I said, let me get the best options, reliability, software support, additional options, then give me the best price between all the vendors. That end up happening that we got a better product, but the vendors got upset because they had close relationships higher up in the company. Mm -hmm. So then um, initially it was a little bit of a challenge, but we were able to improve, like you mentioned, productivity for the users. Um, how do you do make those decisions from a leadership standpoint when you have to, like you said, 800 versus 2,500, how do you really justify that from a leadership standpoint? So, so I don't do either of those. <laughs> okay. Just to be honest, right? I've got 10,000 users at this point, so I don't do either of those things. Um, but, but I do something in the middle. Right. I'm not going to buy the $800 or $600 or $500 laptop, um, but I'm not going to likely do twenty, or, you know, 10,000 people at $2,500 a piece. Mm -hmm. uh, but a big piece of it is the touch and feel on both sides, right? So what is the touch and feel for the people who have to interact with the laptop manufacturer, right? So that the kind of company crunch. Um, and then what's the touch and feel for the end user? because that stuff does make a huge difference. And it's something that I don't think, I don't think is considered because there is, there is very much the ability to be an us versus them. Um, as in, 
um, what IT specifies for the rest of the world, IT doesn't necessarily have to do themselves. Mm. Right? We don't officially support Macs, and yet you'll see a lot of Macs in IT, especially amongst leadership. Right. right? Um, why is that? It's because IT could basically pick whatever they want. I don't really like that. Like, I don't like the fact that I carry my own machine. I don't like. Um, but but I again, wet piece of cardboard, not carrying that. I'm not dragging four and a half pounds with me when I can take two and a half pounds. Mm -hmm. That stuff makes a difference. Um, but when but we now have a new, we did a new a new RFP. We have a whole list based on function, um, and we're doing a POC. Right. So that's that's part one. We're making a new decision, so it's proof of concept. So we're doing 250 ish, right. Um, endpoint devices in the hands of users to capture feedback and determine, you know, um, what's the supply chain like, what's the out of box experience like, um, how does all of this this actually look and work, or do each of the individual machines meet standards? Does the user get any joy when they open the box? Mm -hmm. Like all that stuff is in fact important, right? Um, because if they're not happy with it, then they're not likely to appreciate using it, and thus they're not likely to use it. Right, if the keyboard is mushy, it's a really good one. Right, how much flex is in the keyboard is gonna is really gonna gonna decide whether or not they'll use it outside of a dock. And if they only use it inside a dock, then they don't really need a laptop. Right, because that means they're gonna again avoid using it when they travel. It's gonna stay in their bag. It's gonna you know not meet the needs. Um, and so how do we how do we consider that and justify an extra million dollars a year for it? Mm -hmm. Day zero impression is also important, right? So, you know, you get hired in an organization and you fill out the form, what laptop do you want? If there is only one PC option and one Apple option, then you know they're not considering the needs of the entire organization, right? Because I agree with you. System engineers require something different than a developer, which requires something different than a task worker, which is required something different that actually is in a, outside in a plant, right? An essential worker who may not even, you know, occasionally use a device um, and yet you're only providing me with this one option to which is subpar and this other mac option which is more expensive but still subpar you're you're not you're not thinking about the breadth and complexity of you know the needs of an employee and you get to see that day zero right day one like that, i'm not sure that's the impression you want to leave your new employee no no i think when we reduced it we reduced it to about 15 to 20 roles right across the organization. Um, and it really came down to, to kind of that, like this is what's chosen for the role. Now, when it's when it's all said and done, I think there's, I honestly believe that just places a default. We don't have super strict controls, right? So if, 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 the lead, if your leader decides, hey, you know, you don't fit that role, you fit this role and they wanna order that for you and it comes out of their cost center, that's totally fine with us. We're not, we're not, we're not our goal isn't to apply strict controls, controls but rather, um guardrails right right this is this is what we've determined based on what we know operate outside of it it's your budget we're not going to restrict you it doesn't really like we've chosen vendors based on what you know how we can manage them not try to you know we don't so, manage your so what happened to byod what happened to that whole world yeah. where <laughs> i got to I got a budget and I got to purchase my own equipment and then I bring it in and if I could use it whenever I wanted to, how come, 
how come that's not prevalent? How come companies are still buying laptops for me? So I can't answer what everybody does. Uh, for, first off, I think BYOD in most cases is is just bullshit. Um, <laughs> it, it's, a, it's, it's, it's avoidance, right? Mm -hmm. Because when the user complains, how do I support the device? When the user has problems, how do I support the device? BYOD is fantastic in tech companies. And I don't know why any tech company would not have BYOD, right? As part of your hiring package, you can go buy an expense, your laptop, or you can get one from corporate. Those are your two options, BYOD if you want. And we don't care when you, you know, you, you're here a year or whatever, take the damn thing with you. It's not a cost we want to recover. Right. Um, like that stuff works at a tech company because if you bring your own device, you support that device. And that's fine because, you know, there's an assumption that you can do that. I don't, uh, IT is not supporting your own device, right? But that also means I have to have a way to support that device when you bring it into the office. I, I, I have to have a way to, to trust that connecting that to the network is not going to damage the other things on the network. And that means that my network requires a certain level of design. And that design has to be globally consistent. I can't just say BYOD is only supported by people in this office when they are in this office. Right. You can't actually leave. Right, right. right. You, uh, I'm sorry, this is leave your own device, uh, not bring your own device. You brought it. This is the Hotel California of networks. <laughs> that was good. That, that, that brings really good question about security and what is happening with ransomware, what happening with the different uh, security issues, uh, zero day uh, attacks. So from a leadership standpoint, how do you then get, like we just established, and it will always be that way, that IT will have a different standard. So sometimes they will do stuff that no one else will do. But how do we help the rest of the org so they can be a little bit more forthcoming to try new things or to support us when we're implementing new things within the organization to protect it or to innovate? Well, I think that's two very, very different questions, right? Um, because try, trying new things, right, is, is asking them to be Mikey with Life Serial, right? Um, and, and it's one thing to say, we'd like you to try to innovate, which really is the organization has to remove a fear of failure and, the, and any penalty for failure, right? You, you actually, if you want people to innovate, then, then what you need to do is make sure you tell people, we want you to fail and we're requiring you to fail to some percentage. Like you, you, have, to, you have to embrace the failure to a, to a really high degree because that's, that's where it all goes wrong. That's, where, that's why, especially legacy organizations, they don't, they're just not innovative. And they're not innovative because they, they, they say, we pay you for success, not your failure. No, 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 we need to pay you for your failure because failure educates, mm -hmm. right? We, we want to encourage you to fail, your, fail because we know for a fact, if you're not failing, you're not actually trying. And no innovation will come from it. No invention will come from it, right? And to be honest, it's more invention than innovation, but, but that's kind of problem one. <laughs> With security, we want the exact opposite. I don't want you to fail. Right. I'm not paid to fail in security and I will never be paid to fail within security. Right. 
right? Um, and so, so then it becomes how do I, how do I create security as a matter of culture? Right? We lock the office door at night. We don't leave the office door unlocked. Right? We use passwords. Therefore, we've said that this stuff needs to be secure. We have to take that that same logic throughout to protect the very things that we're asking you to innovate and invent on. Right? If you if we don't innovate and invent, then we're not really doing anything new and interesting within the market, which means we're not we don't really have intellectual property, so we don't really need to protect it. And I, and I think there's a way for those two to go hand in hand, kind of following that methodology. But we're not asking for we're not we're not promoting failure within security. Um, and to be honest, the only thing that holds any any promise in security, especially within the the current supply chain hacks, is zero trust, which nobody does well. It's difficult to implement, especially since you didn't start that way, right? You don't have a foundation of zero trust. You have a foundation of a little bit of education, mostly detection, and all of your, you know, manpower is going to response, right? Now that something happens, what do I do about it? That's where most of the people power went to, but that's that's not all that effective, right? I've got to have, I've got to have budget for education, budget for prevention, budget for detection, and budget for response, right? I got to have all those things. They don't have to be equal in fairness but I still have to have people and systems and effort and all sort of four of those quadrants when it comes to security. And, and I have to have a lot. Yeah. Right. Because zero, the principle of zero trust is, is with contained within the name. I don't trust the network. I don't trust the machines. I don't trust the users. I don't trust the applications. I don't trust the access. I don't trust the connections, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't right? trust the company I work for. I, I trust nothing. <laughs> I, don't even, I don't even trust the currency with, with I'm, that I'm paying with all this with. Um, but, but, like fundamentally, I have to redesign my network for zero trust because network segmentation is a key component of zero trust. Right. Right? I can't trust that your machine is secure. Therefore, any place your machine connects, I have to be able to secure against any other machine. And, and, right. it, and it's not that specific, right? Like I can, throw, I can throw all the end user machines in the same, on the same network segment and let them all, let them all fight it out as though it was um, Thunderdome. But but I, I can't then allow any of their traffic to be trusted enough to touch my PLM network, right? right? Or my Oracle network or, you know, my data center, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, and so how do I do that when my networking team may already be overburdened? How do I do that when, maybe I'm not investing in a networking team anymore, right? Maybe, I'm, maybe I've outsourced things like SD-WAN and I no longer, you know, I don't have any triple CCIEs. I don't, have, I don't even have any CCIEs. Right, because that's not a place where I invest. Right. Well, now how do I go backwards and go? Not only does my the size of my security team need to grow, but now I'm placing more much, much a much greater burden on my networking team. What does effective monitoring look like in a zero trust world? Knowing I went from let's say I've got thirty locations, so I went from forty five networks to four hundred fifty networks. Right. Right. How do I how do I manage? the standard network responsiveness, the network accessibility, while at the same time, not burying myself in alerts, right? right. Do old technologies like NAC still have a place? Because we moved away from NAC a decade ago. Now, do we move back to NAC? Right. Right. Well, NAC specifically says I, there are some things I trust and some things I don't, right? Network access control. These are authorized. These are not authorized. Therefore, I trust versus I don't trust. 
right? Um, and it becomes a super complicated thing once you really start to dig in beyond the buzzword of zero trust. Um, right, what else changes? How do I manage it, et cetera, et cetera, right? What does my PKI look like now? Right. right that sort of stuff, so. Yeah, I agree it's complex, especially since, you know, the, the generic design before was inside the organization, outside organization. And once you're inside the organization, it was in DMZ and out of DMZ. And that's kind of as far as you went. Right. And now, now effectively I have to follow this transaction from point of origin, i.e. laptop, section by section, segment by segment, not trusting each one of those interactions. So just because laptop to, to web server was good, web server to app server has to be retrusted. App server to database set server, retrusted. Database service to SAN, retrusted. Right. Now, that's a very different design pattern than uh, if, if you made it in, you're okay. <laughs> right. Well, and it's not retrusted. It's not trusted. Right. Not trusted. Yeah. It is not trusted me. Right. Now I have to audit how those things communicate, what credentials are used, what is passed, all that sort of stuff. Um, where is, and, and I have to have a far better understanding of what my traffic looks like. Right. To do it properly. To really follow the tenets of, of zero trust, the way the the way the design was created originally, right? And and that's where it, where it comes back to, right? Where we continue to screw this stuff up, right? I think we've talked about it in the past, right? Um, what is GitOps? Well, GitOps is is kind of DevOps, more how DevOps was supposed to be done, but we screwed up DevOps so bad, no one's willing to 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 say, now wait a minute, we need to really talk about what we meant when we said DevOps. And they just, we just create a new term. And we, we do that. That's the easiest thing to do is create another term. Right. We do that. And then it confuses everybody. And somebody reads it on an airplane and says, hey, we're doing GitOps. And we go, do you even know what that means? I read it. I, I read it in The Economist. I read it in Forbes. There was an article I read on the in the airplane in-flight magazine. So it must be good. It must be fantastic. Well, well, we never did cloud that you said we needed to do. I know, but we've moved on to GitOps. I know, but GitOps <laughs> No, we're moving on to get ups. I don't think you understand what you're talking about. Just <laughs> doing. Um, but but I think that's kind of another thing that's endemic in this industry is is there's little understanding of the new thing, and yet the new thing gets co-opted by every vendor that says they can do that thing where they didn't really change their product. They just changed the wording of that thing to make it fit what their product did. So then we do that. We don't get the benefit of the thing we were hoping to get to begin with. And then we have to change the name of the thing because all the vendors have corrupted the, the thing to the point where we can't figure out if they do it or not. The real winners of technological innovation is website copywriters. That's, oh, that's true. I completely believe that to be true. Oh yeah, yeah. People that advise marketing companies, those are the ones that actually win. <laughs> right. Or, sorry, marketing departments within these companies, those are the ones that actually win. So this is the language you should use so that you can incorporate the new whiz bang term into right. your program. I know, but our program, our, our, we don't actually do that. I understand, but you know who, who doesn't know? The customer. <laughs> right. And anybody who's searching in Google would have no idea. We want to be the first on that list they see, regardless so, so, of whether we actually supply the service and our product. Right. So how do we handle it? Uh, just blind them a bullshit. Oh, <laughs> like we did last time. Got it. Remember the, the BS generator? Oh, yeah. That, that came out from a private marketing department to be able to put information. Oh, yeah. 
Oh yeah, I think you're the one that gave me the new one that has the like three term bullshit. Yeah, job. yeah that been, that's great. <laughs> so, so looking at then all this, what can tech leaders at every level should be focusing on to support all these changes? Uh, if new equipment come in or zero uh, trials or anything like that, what should be something? that let's say they should be focusing on just to look at all of it like an elephant right it's the old adage how do you eat an elephant i eat it one bite at a time so look at all of it that way zero trust and 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 honestly if you're in tech leadership if you're a cio forget about security if you're a cio your number one focus right now should be zero trust i don't know if you guys have looked into the supply chain hacks but Previous to supply chain, the way crypto attacks, ransomware attacks went is um, they, they couldn't scale them, right? Because I, I have to kind of pick a target, then I have to um, offset that target or OSINT that target, right? Um, I have to find a way in. I develop a crafted kind of series of, of social networking attacks effectively find someone that lets me in or, or find some compromised credentials that let me in, right? It's a very targeted thing, right? I do some research once I'm in, I find, the, I find the places I need to attack, I attack, blah, blah, blah. Supply chain did the exact opposite, right? Supply chain attacks went, hey, look, you have 100,000 available targets. I can't manage ransom against 100,000 targets. I'm doing the opposite. Right. Instead of instead of doing careful research to pick the one target, now I'm trying to figure out how do I narrow it down to 10 that I can take a bite out of to take a bite out of another 10 to take a bite out of another 10 to take a bite out of another 10. Right. They took ransomware and moved it to a scale that's completely unprecedented. And the scary part is if uh, if you didn't protect yourself the second protection was available, then you're just on the list. Mm. Right. They will get to you eventually. You're not, you didn't suddenly get missed by the, the Kaseya ransomware attack. They chose specifically who they were going to hit in wave one of the Kaseya ransomware attack and then wave two and then wave three and then wave four. If you don't protect yourself, you're done. The worst part about supply chain attacks, just because you don't have solo wins or just because you don't have Kaseya or weren't attacked in those attacks, doesn't mean there's not gonna be another supply chain attack found because you and I aren't actually the target. The right. security researchers are the target. So you're right. saying organized crime is in fact organized? Uh, they've become significantly more organized. Yes, yes. Um, and so the only hope you have of mitigation is zero trust. Hmm. Right? Because zero trust says, I don't trust you at all. Therefore, I'm gonna default to no and make you prove that a yes is the right answer. Right. So how do I design everything with a default of no forcing you to prove that yes is the right answer, right? And that means I have to be able to, to do some kind of default interrogation, right? And that interrogation could be where are you physically located? What are you doing? And how, does this look the same as what you did yesterday? How does that practically extend to your supply chain? So, so I understand that if your supply chain is, I'm the center and I go, you know, get raw material, I 
change raw material into a final product or I assemble final products into a, you know, an assembled product, great, because you're the center. But if your supply chain is um, 15 different companies are going to do some raw material assembling and I'm going to do the final assembly, then any of the corruption could happen in the 15 companies before it even gets to um, right, and may not be aware because it's now it's now embedded in the BIOS of the thing that I'm just buying. Sure, but zero trust, zero trust means I don't trust it even when it arrives. Right. right. So if I don't have complete control over it, then when it gets to me, I'm still not I'm still not connecting it to a trusted network. I'm connecting it to a network that I don't trust that is designed to accomplish one thing and one thing only. And I really have to know and understand what that one thing is, how that one thing operates, how that what the 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 traffic looks like for that one thing, down to the specific discussion that the machines are having that I want them to have. Right. I have to design for for them not to be able to have the discussion they don't want to have, or that I don't want them to have. Right. That they shouldn't have. Um. And, and we like to say we've done that in IT, but we've never actually done that. No. Right. We've never said this port, this ID, this header information is what we consider good, is no. what we consider healthy, is what we consider proper. We've never done that, no. right? We really like habitually have said um, this traffic, plus I think this traffic and 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 this traffic, that's all good. And that's if we look at it down to that granular level, right? When we look at micro-segmentation, micro-segmentation was really supposed to be the first part of zero trust. I only trust this VM, this container, this application, this service to communicate in this way to this VM container application or service on this port for this duration, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I'm supposed to design my micro segmentation for that. The problem was everybody looked at the traffic pattern and went, uh, and the application manufacturer never actually published it. Right. Is when you when you talk to them, they're like, well, like we communicate on this and this, and then we use dynamic for this and this. And sometimes it does this, but we really haven't looked into it. Right. Nobody's actually profiled the application in any sense, not even a performance profile, let alone a security profile. Right. And, and what we really need is we need the vendors of the micro segmentation to start using um, like crowd sourced um, intelligence to start maintaining a database that says, this is how everything we've ever seen communicates. This is how it's supposed to communicate. When you turn this off, it stops working. When you turn this off, it continues to work. Therefore, that's not necessary. Like they need to start gathering that data and creating application profiles. So you can then apply the application profile to the system. I can appreciate they want to use machine learning to do it, but no, like why? I don't want to pay for that weight. I don't want to pay for that. Like, I don't want to pay for it. So right. instead, do it the old way, right? Do it the old fashioned way. Aggregate the data and start screwing with it in a lab. Start setting up a lab yourselves for Christ's sake. Right. right? You get 300 customers that just added this application. Maybe we should run this in our lab and do profile and then push the profile down and offer them a profile. Right. Instead, they expect us to do auto discovery, establish a baseline that could be wrong from the outset. Right. And or to open. Like you can auto discovery just to the IP, right? It's like, okay, anything that comes through this IP is fine. Okay. Sure. <laughs> if it's compromised before it gets to me right. and I'm doing auto discovery, I don't know what's normal for that application. Right. All I know is that's what's normal for the version of the application that's installed in my infrastructure. Right.
Good. Good chat, Carlos. Yeah, that was a good conversation. And always looking forward to learning and connecting with other leaders is the way to learn and apply. All these little changes can help you move forward. But as we always say, don't try to apply them all at once. Look, get your team reviewing them, and then you can start innovating within the company. So my friends, make sure that you subscribe, you share this podcast, and we'll see you on our next episode.